On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Jeff Mahoney, the amazing writer for the Hamilton Spectator, is in, and we have a lot to talk about. Everything from drunk driving to studies to the moon landing and, of course, Amber Alerts. Everyone's talking about the Amber Alerts. We will, too. All coming up. Take a listen. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It's not going to be uh, all serious today, but this this one was a very interesting story that came out this week. It was written about in the National Post uh, yesterday. And it's a story about an Ontario judge in Ottawa who heard the case of a 22-year-old Indigenous woman who had been caught impaired driving, had an accident, her blood alcohol level when she took the the, uh, test, the breath test. She was three times over the legal limit. There was not a... In the case, as the story is written, there was not a dispute about her intoxication. Mm -hmm. There was not a dispute about the amount of her intoxication. And there certainly was no dispute about the fact that she had been in an accident as a result of her intoxication. Mm -hmm. However, the judge determined that he was going to, it was not constitutional. He did not give her a penalty. He -hmm. gave her a conditional discharge, which runs against the mandated rules of Mm -hmm. impaired driving in this country. Uh, which was a $1,000 mandatory fine and a license suspension, all the rest. Yes. He gave her a conditional discharge citing colonialism, racism, and the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women saying that racism is behind this and women, and Indigenous people are at a disadvantage to begin with and therefore she should not be... She was at a disadvantage and therefore this was unfair to her to impose this kind of penalty. So she gets a conditional discharge. I understand how there are things we need to do with our indigenous people in this country and Mm -hmm. the systems and we've got problems and all the rest. Is this helping? Does this kind of thing help? It seems patronizing to me. I'm unfamiliar with the story, but just as you describe it, I don't know if there were any other extenuating circumstances, but if somebody's that uh, much over the limit, uh, at the very least... Uh, maybe the sentence could have included some kind of suggestion for therapy uh, to let somebody off scot-free. I don't think serves anybody well. And it and it's and it's singling her out. I mean, I don't know that somebody's ethnic identity has anything to do with with the charge. I mean, if she herself had been directly, you know, traumatized. And that had something to do with this event. Maybe so she there, there could have been some, but still, still to to give somebody a discharge uh, whereby they're not going to uh, have to pursue any kind of any kind of self improvement for for pro- that's clearly a problem. So the judge I mean, says, what if what if she had well, that's killed somebody, or what if somebody had hurt her uh, when she was? I mean, it's she she's not going to. She's not going to benefit by being encouraged to continue with her habit. The judge says that she has a troubled family history and has struggled with addiction. And he then pointed to the Gladue report, which is the thing that was put out there about, again, the courts should look at backgrounds of people Mm -hmm. of indigenous and maybe in some cases black people in the country where if there are systemic racism issues that these things should be brought into play. He says that she... uh, if she had she had a promising future, and this would be cruel and unusual punishment. But well, I go to your point: is what happens then if she had hit someone? Now she didn't, thankfully. But no, then, that's good. does her 
promising future trump the fact that she could have injured somebody like where where do you how do we balance this we're, we're, it's supposed to be everyone is equal under the law is it not i don't think it's helping her i don't think it's helping the cause or or i don't think it's really helping our understanding about how colonialism has shattered whole peoples you know presumably that's that's an argument you can make or you can reject but i have a lot of sympathy for that argument i think you know colonialism you know the they they didn't really get an awful lot out of it that's for sure that they lost their land and so on but to further stigmatize her in a way by pointing her out and making her this exception which may anger a lot of people and it's not going to help somehow it doesn't help her move forward I, it, this seems to me a case scott where this woman needs some kind of help or awareness that she has to move forward. Well, if she's got family addiction problems, continu- how are you helping? Yeah, a continuation of this behavior is not going to help this woman because sooner or later she's going to run into a judge who's not going to let her off. And you use the word patronizing, and we've got to take a quick break here, but I think, it's, I think that's a great word because this essentially to me as I read this says as an indigenous woman, and this is as I'm interpreting his words here, as an indigenous woman – you really can't control your yeah, I don't th- and I don't think that's, that's fair. fair. I don't yeah. think that's fair to other indigenous people, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's fair, as I say, to society, because it's not that she just drank. If you want to go and drink your face off, whoever you are, that's mm-hmm. your choice. But as soon as you then get on public roads in part of society, you are now putting everyone else at risk. It's no longer just about you. To give a little more context of what this is all about, here's a quote. Given the widespread discrimination against Aboriginal people, which sadly continues to exist, the imposition of a criminal record for impaired driving would only add to the challenges an Aboriginal person faces when trying to access educational and employment opportunities in the future. Impeding those opportunities would in turn frustrate an Aboriginal first offender's ability to achieve economic self-sufficiency and or their ability to meaningfully contribute to the betterment of their Aboriginal community. So if I give her a criminal record, even though what she did was, by definition, criminal, it may be more difficult for her to get a job or get a degree. Well, it's yes. not the application of that logic in this case. That's the problem, I don't think. It's the extension of it. Because if you extend that logic, you, you can't find anybody criminally liable who has a kind of historical um, claim of uh, having, to do, having to do with the, the hardship that a whole people endured. And I mean, as I said earlier, before the break, Scott, I mean, I have so much um, so much sympathy for, the, for that argument. I mean, we, we see it everywhere. I, my first job in journalism was up north in Moosonee, and you could see the devastation. And a lot of that is at the, the feet of uh, colonialism, as they call it, and, and, um, and the way whole peoples were disrupted if if this kind of thing were to happen today anywhere well you see it happening with the Rohingyas we, we get outraged so anyway that's that's the past coming into the present but I, I could see him not giving her a criminal record but I don't see how getting off without any kind of um, any kind of step forward for her that will maybe improve situation. I don't see how that helps. 
the further thing that comes from this, according to the story, is that because he hasn't given her a criminal record and hasn't imposed a sentence upon her, if she were to do this again, she won't receive the incremental next step penalty. So you would right. be still considered a first-time offender. Yes, that's true. Which... Uh, Have look, any of the Indigenous groups commented on this? I haven't I, seen I can imagine that some of them wouldn't be happy with this kind of well, thinking. Well, I, I think I could be s- wrong. some probably are. Yeah. And because of the things where they say, look, there has been <clears throat> hardships brought upon our people. But again, if you are a law-abiding Indigenous person who is doing what you want to do uh, and doing it right and doing it within the, the scope of the law of the land in which you live, even if you argue that I shouldn't be having to follow federal laws, that's the way it works, you're probably looking at this saying, wait a second, uh, this, they may be, some of them, some Indigenous people may actually be saying this, and I don't know, this fits or this, this perpetrates the stereotype mm-hmm. that is out there already. Of the, of the drunken Indian stereotype mm-hmm. that is unfair. There are people who have, like with any group, there's people who have had problems. It's a stereotype, though. This just makes it sound, well, you can't control yourself. Well, so we got to give you a break because you can't control yourself. I, I would think there would be Indigenous people who would be furious about that, that it just bolsters that stereotype. Yeah. I imagine there are. I mean, the, the only way I could see conceptualizing a justification for what this judge did is to say that who are we to try the very people who to whom we were criminals in a, in a sense you could say our our behavior was criminal so you could say you know like al pacino no you're out of order the whole system's out of order and i suppose it is and if you but but then have that person tried Maybe in a, a native court, or maybe, what if she maybe, had hit a, What if she maybe, hit another indigenous well, person? Well, this is it. If it happened on, you know, if it happened on uh, reserve land or something, I, w- I wonder then maybe, and maybe that's what should be done. It's it it opens up such. But why then even have a, a six nations? We have a six nations police department. Yes. there is one. Yes. Why even have that then? I, I mean, if we're going to say that you are not going to be held to standards of law for behavior that we all accept. And I don't think there is an indigenous person out there like anyone else who would say, yeah, drunk driving, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. I, There's I, not one who would say that's I, totally okay. I agree. I so that's a standard uh, of law yeah. that we accept. Yeah. And if we're not even going to hold that standard up, why have a police force? Why have rules? Why have laws at all? Eh, every man for himself, every woman yeah. for themselves. Strongest survive. It's Darwinian now. That, well, nobody wants that. The logic in the judge's rationale is is that you, a native person could never be criminally charged under any conditions. I don't I know. Mean, well, what he's saying hurt, is that if, the cr- the criminal behavior is going to hold the criminal record is going to hold the person back. Well, that that's true. So, and the cause of the criminal it, behavior was out of her control. So, so how do you then uh, go from there to another case and say involving an indigenous person where that person is going to be criminally liable? I, 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 where, where the person will say, well, she got off because, and I, and I had an equally hard upbringing and, uh, and a criminal record is going to affect me just as negatively as it would affect her. It just turns out that I got the wrong judge. Yeah, I got the wrong so judge. So she's going to be able to get that job yeah. now. I'm not. We did the same thing. I, I, I Look, I, I find this one, I find it difficult. I find it troubling and I find it not particularly helpful. I get that the judge is trying to be sympathetic. 
And mm-hmm. look, we it's, it, it would be good to have sympathetic judges for yeah. sure. But I think that it, this may be one where you go, uh, I think you're swinging and missing on this one. I think this is one where you, you follow the law. You don't have to lay down the hammer and give the maximum, but you do what yeah, you I don't have mind to. her not having a criminal record, but I think she sh- probably should not be driving again until she can establish that she's uh, she, she's capable of, of driving more responsibly. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is a, there's a great piece in the National Post that came out uh, today. And there's a picture of Celine Dion. That's not why. Um, <laughs> Celine Dion is, um, yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not size shaming or anything. She is getting really, really skinny. She was on one of those carpool karaoke's with, uh, what's his name? James Horton. Uh, James or Car- Corden. Uh, Corden. Corden. Yeah. And she's really, um, just re- and, and maybe very healthy. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not questioning her, but like really well, she's got that kind of figure, maybe yeah. it's natural. She's got the kind not, of build where an anaconda could swallow her whole and much. you wouldn't see a bulge in its That's body. Pretty I much. Mean. But her picture is on here because there's a story about uh, the Canadian government. And it's not just the current Canadian government. This goes back for, this is this is the, not the government itself. This is the bureaucracy part of the Canadian right. government. So it's not a political siding thing on this. It's the bureaucracy. Uh, we apparently, as taxpayers, spend millions of dollars on studies that are generally mm, inane, I think might be a good word. <laughs> like just throwing money, flushing it down the toilet. So, for example... But they do that on purpose, Scott, so that the media can write stories. I guess. Of, of an amusing nature. I guess. How much money we but spend. I don't like... Yeah. Uh, so there was a study that was done... By Transport Canada, seventy-eight thousand dollars it cost. Which, by this, by the standards of the rest of the size, that's a bargain. Yeah, that's a CFL annual salary. Yeah, uh, and what they discovered is that when boating, young men like to look cool in the boats. <laughs> that was the that was the uh, the result of that study. So that was good. Uh, I think I could have told them that for less money. Than for eighty-nine thousand dollars, we discovered here's the Celine Dion part that if you go to France, Celine Dion is the face of Canada. Well, there you go. Well, I guess she would be either her or, um, I don't know, Patrick Roy. Uh, we spent $234,000 for a study that says when we're showing pictures of people eating, people don't like looking at empty plates. <laughs> so if you're doing any advertising that shows empty plates, it looks like you're doing an ad for a flatware company, not for a food Let me share an observation that's related to it. Watch any American movie or TV show, not just American, mostly like even European, but I think it tends to be mostly American. You will never see a whole movie without an eating scene. It's true. And the actors really chew in this kind of, uh, it's kind of like I would call it like Hollywood eating where they really like they're talking over their chewing and they're really making a big show of eating. And I think it's something to do with, the the consumerism of, of, of that's my little theory. Okay, well, I have a theory about acting. Okay, if you go and look, and I haven't checked in the last couple of years, but I had a theory that for a number of years, for many years, the best actress mm-hmm. who won the Academy Award every year yes. was a respected 
So not a, not someone you would expect to this, a respected actress who unexpectedly did a nude scene. That won you an Academy Award. Oh, really? I So like, for example. With, never with, noticed that pattern. Oh, if for, for many years there, it followed. Yeah. That, that if you had someone who you hadn't really expected to be, mm-hmm. you know, doffing and her clothes. She did a nude scene. And she then the she won the award. So what's that, an example? Or can you think of what, what was her name? A uh, Holly, what's her name? Who was in the piano? Uh, oh, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter did one. Uh, and yeah, from about there scene. on, there was about five or six or seven or eight years where it, it followed almost every year. Anyway, yeah, uh, Canadians. Uh, we spent $136,000 to discover that Canadians are aware that we have national parks. <laughs> Uh, you know, like, oh, and we spent $129,000 to discover that, um, teenagers are interested in vaping. (laughs) You just have to walk out any high school... Is this not, that's exactly right, Jeff. Is this not really, and look, there's great studies that, that do bring real insight and real, Mm -hmm. you know, things But you're going to have some clunkers. Those are, but but uh, every once in a while, some of the clunkers are so obvious. Yes. That it's like, why would we spend, what we just talked about probably adds up to about a million bucks. Now a million bucks in the grand scheme of our budget is nothing. But still. But do we need to spend a hundred grand to tell us that we are familiar with our national parks? The subjects are so inane, but I'm wondering if they didn't set out to investigate something a little grander. And this was so the this best is all thing they came up no, with. This is the only thing we have had a conclusion about. We, it's, 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 well, maybe, it, it's, yeah, maybe that we yeah. went. We went to look deep into like, can people name twelve national parks? And since they couldn't, <laughs> well, at least they knew we had them. Well, maybe there was a theory out there that Canadians simply, and in large numbers purely do not know that we have national parks. Maybe somebody thought, like, you know, I talked to 20 friends and not one of them knows that we have national parks. Hey, let's do a study. Oh, I was wrong. That to be just my friends because That's people right. do know. I, Algonquin I know. Park. I've never heard of such a place. <laughs> what is that? I mean, is there is there a single person, honestly, is there a single person in Ontario? Let me take that back. Is there a single person who has lived in Ontario for two years. So if you're brand new to Canada, maybe you wouldn't. But if you've been here for any period of time, have you never heard of Algonquin Park? Is there anybody? Yeah. I I can't imagine. Like you've ever had a It's part of the conversation. Yeah. But but Jeff, the point of this, and the reason I bring this up, and it goes sort of back to the last topic with the moon mission and the money spent there, although that was was money that you can argue was well spent. This this just seems to me typical of so yeah. many governments, whether it's provincial, whether it's municipal, whether it's federal, whatever, that because they have money, we've got to spend money. And because it's not our money, well, well we can spend more money. The departments that sponsored these studies, maybe they all had little surpluses at the end of the year and thought, well, let's do a frivolous study because we've got to spend this we rather gotta, than admit we didn't need it. Sorry, repeat that again because you're bang on. We got to we got to spend the budget. We got to if we drain the budget, or else we won't get as much next year because they'll think we didn't need it. So how do you fix that? Because that's well, everywhere. How do I you mean, fi- that's and I don't think that's just government. I think that's everywhere you go. If somebody's giving you a budget, it's like there's a sense of fatality about admitting that you didn't need every cent because you know you're going to be asking for as much the next year or more. But couldn't you, wouldn't you say if you were the boss, all right, On the other end, yeah, if you came in and said, I did this under budget. And then the next year, and the next year, so you're the boss and they come to you and they say, hey, we did this in less than it was supposed to cost. Yeah. And then the next year they say, Jeff, 
uh, we came in a little over, would you not then believe they had credibility that they really are legitimately needing that money? I would think most people, that's how it would work as opposed to milking the system. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, so if you, so feel good as a Canadian that uh, $79,000 told you that guys like to look cool in boats. (laughs) And they don't, not really, because they're wet. And you know they've probably been drinking too much. I should. Well, that yeah. no, that that factors drinking into it. on the boat. Yeah, yeah drinking on the boat, not wearing a life jacket. Yeah, I think there are studies. You won't have a nice, trimly tailored, tailored Italian suit on a boat. Probably, you can't unless you're James Bond. You can't exactly. You can't turn yourself to the best advantage on a boat. You have to be on dry land, and you know, in a dance hall maybe. Uh, let us, uh, let me know. give you the quiz question. I don't question. like boats. Uh, well, I was on, here's, here's a funny one. Uh, we were up at the sick. cottage two weeks ago, last week, actually, we were still there last week. First time ever. I, every year I get my fishing license and I get my outdoors card cause you have to have it. And when I rent the boat that we rent, I have to fill out the form that tells yes. you the safety checklist and everything. Oh. And I've always, every year it's like, oh, this is stupid. Last Monday, I was up on the lake. I was the only boat that I could even see on the lake, and a police boat came up and wanted to check my stuff. Uh-oh. And it was fine. It was fine. You had everything taken care but of. But it was it was really like, it's 8 a.m. on a Monday morning, and I'm sitting in a fishing boat doing nothing outrageous. I'm not racing around or something. And, and somebody th- pulls you over, and this is so what, to speak. This is what we're going to do. This is, yeah. again, wasted money to me. I mean, yeah. I'm, listen, I'm glad they're out there, but yeah. go stop the guys who are drunk on their jet skis who are buzzing people on, you know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The 50th anniversary of the moon landing, and it still remains one of the if not the great human achievement, I think. But you, you know, mean the staged uh, moon the sta- landing? Yeah, the, no, sta- the one in, in Sault Ste. Marie. I'm in not a conspiracy theorist. Or was it Sudbury? I can't remember. Sault Ste. Marie or Sudbury? Where was it supposed to be? Anyway. Is that where Somewhere. they were shooting it? But if we're 50 years on now, we haven't ever gone back to the moon. I mean, after Apollo mm-hmm. 15 or is it oh, Apollo 16? Remember. Anyway, yeah. uh, we've stopped going to the moon 45 years ago now. Uh, NASA is really a shell of what it used to be, largely because of the cost of doing things. Uh, it's not entirely clear that the moon, which was supposed to now be a way station or something else. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, when we look back 50 years later, it was really cool. It was really great. It was a huge achievement, sure. as I say. But was the cost it. of the program, was the cost of the manpower, because many astronauts were lost... Was it really worth it? Oh, that's a hard question. I'd say on balance, yes. I think it needed to be done because if we hadn't done it, it would have obsessed us. And while it seems a bit frivolous now, I think probably many great things came out of that program. I think things that we use every day today, I think the internet, uh, the computer systems that we have, had their genesis in the research that was being done for the moon shot. And um, so I think in that respect, but I can understand how in contemporary times when things are so strange in the world and, and they're so much more aware of the depth of problems, poverty and climate change and so on, I just think it's going to be a hard sell to really ratchet up that space program again because, I mean... 
what are we going to go to Mars for? What are we going to go to a space station for? What are we going to get out of it? What's up there? I mean, on the other hand, I think there's a searching impulse in human nature. I mean, that, that sent people over oceans and and it's part of our great hope is that uh, with adventure we'll make discoveries that will help. And, uh, but I, 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 don't, I don't see the moon. I mean, the moon we seem to know, it's just a bunch of rock and I mean, whatever is there we have samples of it so i i can't see that one but. Uh, it's it's an interesting point you raise because when we talk now about anything anything and uh, leave aside space travel i mean yeah. i'm talking about building a stadium or building a road or building whatever it is always becomes a a a headbutting between those who would say let's do something great and those who would say we've got poor people we've got hungry people we've yeah. got housing we have to look after i can't fathom because who knows what, I mean, how many billions it would cost to launch another moon mission or some new space shuttle program or right. something. I, what's the political fight over that? If you're, I mean, if you're in the States and it's only the States, realistically, maybe China, yeah. uh, they're going to do it. But you're now in the States and you're trillions of dollars in debt. Oh, and you say, okay, let's, let's fire up another $500 billion program to go back to space. Honestly, Scott, I think it would be tantamount to the debate they have about launching into a new foreign war adventure, like getting into another military engagement. People don't have the stomach for it. And I, I, there will be those who are raring to go, but I think there's going to be such opposition to it if, if, the, if the price tag's high, which it invariably will be. Would there be the same excitement today? So 1969, I was young, you were young, um, <laughs> Relatively speaking, but I so I I don't really remember that being there. I don't. I mean, my my recollection of it is is later on catching up with it. But we know that everybody on planet Earth at that time was completely immersed and wrapped up in that. Everybody moment. seemed to be behind it. Even I mean, there was a lot of conflict. There was that whole '60s counterculture and mm-hmm. and unrest on the campuses and. The, Democratic National Convention and the riots and so on and, and the race stuff. Of, of course, there there was that. And but ninety nine percent of the planet was buying into this and excited yeah, about it. That's what I'm saying. The, the, those times were divisive. Maybe not quite the same way our times are divisive. But even with the divisions, everybody seemed to think, well, this is a good thing. This is what we're meant to do: use our brains, use our science to expand our horizons and and and. First of all, we hadn't been to the moon, so we didn't know what we'd find there. I don't think anybody expected to find little green man or anything, but uh, there, there might be minerals or, or elements or something or secrets to, and, and uh, that doesn't seem to have been the case. It was a great achievement just to be able to do it. But, um, but people, there was an excitement about it, Scott. There was an electricity in the air, and it was Because it was the first. It was almost like the raptors. <laughs> that was no, a bad no. uh, analogy, but but I take mean, that excitement around uh, the entire world. Yeah, yeah. And, and so and I mean, so, I was cynical about the raptors, and I was saying, oh, "This is a bit much." This is Toronto, and I was getting slammed down. People were saying, "No, no, you got to get behind the raptor." But, but and you, it was the same thing. It was but if you did it again now today, I would you have the same excitement? Would no. you would you have the same level of exuberance? If you were to go back and land in the moon 50 years later, so you've got a whole new generation of people who were like me, who were too young at that time. Um, Scott, I think, I'll tell you why. I don't think, first of all, whoever proposes it, whichever party would propose it, uh, the other party 
is immediately going to jump down their throats. Politics. Yeah. And if they say it's the moon, aside from that, I think people are going to say, we've done that. Let's go to Mars or let's let's do something more practical, e- even if it's of a space nature. Um, and they'll talk about the danger and, and so on. And uh, so I, I don't think you're going to get the... I don't know, Scott. Do you get the sense that you, you'll get unanimity about anything no. anymore in our no. culture? It, no. And you're right. Somebody yeah. could come up, somebody of and either party one, could yeah. come up with the greatest idea. Yeah. Well, I, I really believe that right now, especially in the States, but here in Canada too, yeah. you could have a party stand up in Commons, for example, and say, our health minister in her free time or deputy health minister, whatever, has discovered a cure for cancer that we we can prove, and the other party will say, ah, screw off. <laughs> because it's just, yeah. that's that's where you don't want anyone to get credit for anything yeah. except for you. If they're and your enemy. Yeah. If it's your enemy. And that's, that's the difference, because mm-hmm. that's the word, enemy. Yeah. But people are still excited about it. There's a launch, I think, this week, or there was, or there's one coming up, a space shuttle, and I know people who were taking trips down to Florida because they want to see it. Now, that's not the same thing. And, um, I mean, it's hardly even getting any press. But uh, I I think people do have a sense of excitement about the novelty of space travel and and the allure of science fiction and so on. But to get the kind of consensus that we had over the For the cost. And and you know what else? And you just raised a really interesting point, too, and that is when you say the enemy. You imagine if this was going to happen in 2019 – do you know back in, did you know, or even do you know what party, what what political affiliation Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Mike Collins had? No, but you probably would know about any astronaut. You would know because you would go back and look at their Twitter yeah. feeds and you would look at any quotes they've had. And all of a sudden, Neil Armstrong is someone, I don't know if he was, but I'm, hypothetically, and suddenly you find something that says, oh, once upon a time, he donated $500 to a Republican candidate. Now, he's not a hero to the world. Or he have Twittered something against... And everyone uh, on the left goes, I hate that guy. He can't be yeah. the one to set foot on the moon. And then Buzz Aldrin had given something to the Democrats. And you go, I, all the Republicans uh, go, we yeah. hate that guy. He's an idiot. Well, the original moon program was, I think, really associated with Kennedy. And he's, we're going to do it by 69. I'm surprised that the Republicans didn't give more pushback. Maybe they did, and we just don't hear about it. Although I think they made a calculation that people were really going to get behind it, and if um, if if they poo pooed it, they would look like the wet blanket. So, but those were different times, Scott. So I don't they were very need to tell and, you. And but, I mean, look, uh, it was an angry time too because it was, was only Kennedy said that in nineteen. What year was that? 61? 61, 62. 60, 61, something in there. And within two years, he was dead. Uh, It wasn't like there was, and and, you know, Martin Luther King was assassinated and his brother was assassinated. It wasn't like it was glorious utopian times. No, no, no. Kennedy was hated by a big swath of the population. It's, uh, you know, I, I just don't know. I think, as I say, I think you could have someone come up with the single greatest idea ever now. Yeah. And, um, and half of the people would say, you can't yeah. do that because you're not of the right political affiliation. <laughs> As for whether or not, you know, we could ever go back to the moon right now, I think if you were to propose this at the cost, which would be hundreds of billions of dollars, yeah. it would... And what we would lose, or what we do lose, I think, is, again, I, I asked the question at the start whether it was worth it. It was more of a rhetorical question because I really do believe it was worth it because of what you said. It showed 
something to the limits of like what we can do, yeah. what humans can do, what yeah. we can achieve if we work together. It, it, it was a, a, I hate to use this word, it was a glorious moment of achievement. And this came out of a culture that was really um, all jacked up about shows like uh, Star Trek, with that stirring, you know, to boldly go where we've never gone before. And I mean, the time was ripe. Yeah, the time yep. was ripe. I don't think we could do it now, though. I, no, I, I, I don't mean, think it, it would work. It, you know, I, I know they that our, sell it. I know that our friend Karen Cummings, who uh, used to be with CHCH, is one of those. She was on that Mars. Mar- <laughs> well, she's on that Mars shortlist. That we'll she's on. The we'll see. List. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You have a smartphone over there. You I finally a- do. I broke down this January. And so, were you awoken f- this week by the? <laughs> No. By the Amber Alert? No. I, How did you not get woken up by that? Well, I might have slept through it, but <laughs> <laughs> I was in Montreal on the weekend. That might have been it. That, also, I don't have data on my phone, so I go for the cheapest program. Would that have I don't any think effect? So. No, I uh, do you turn it off it. at night, or do you just leave it plugged in and charging? And I usually leave it on. Sometimes I put it on airplane mode or whatever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, maybe. But it was, I don't even know what night it was. Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday night, they had a an Amber Alert. Yeah. and People go crazy. I mean, People go crazy for this. And look, I, I, I here's the thing I would say right off the bat. It is a system that we need to have. It is a useful system. It's one of those things where you look and you say, if it was your kid, heaven knows you would want everybody mm-hmm. being aware. I do think that it's within the good system, Jeff. I do think that it is not unfair to say, okay, are there things we can tweak about it that makes it even better? And one of them would be, I don't know that we need to have that particular sound tone. You could have a mm-hmm. or something that would... You know, but regardless of that, anyone who calls nine one one to complain about the Amber Alert mm-hmm. is a horrible person. <laughs> they are. Well, I want to disagree with you on one of these issues, Scott. But I, I you can't call. I'm on one side. I mean, you got a missing child, yeah. and you're upset because you were woken from your slumber. That that it, it seems so petty. It seems so petty. But I want to bring this up because there are people are locked. So deep, some people inside their own worlds and their own comfort that there is no empathy. They're they are unreachable, and you could have the pleasantest sound, and if it interrupts their if it disturbs true. some little portion of their perfect universe, they're not going to be happy. I, 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 it's, and again, it's, until it's, it's them. infuriating, until I, it's them who yeah, needs the exactly. help, exactly, and then they'll be the loudest to scream. And, and I mean, look, I don't know with the Amber Alert, and I know what it's for, obviously, and we've seen examples of it, missing children and that kind of thing. I don't know if there are other applications that are used. If, for example, we were ever going to have a tornado warning in this area, mm-hmm. seems unlikely. We haven't had a tornado in ever here. I don't know. But let's let's say there was going to be a <laughs> tor- I don't know if that kind of thing would come over on the Amber Alert saying, right, find shelter or something. But nobody would be complaining about it if that was the case. I don't think if, if, look, if, if there's telling you there's a tornado coming and you are upset about being warned, you've got more than bad manners. Well, I could see somebody saying, look, I don't care if I was going to be dead at 7 a.m. I wanted a good night's <laughs> sleep before I'm finally whisked away into the stratosphere. <laughs> I don't is, know. But I pulled some stuff up today because I thought that this, I, I've heard, we've heard that there were people calling, there was somebody calling the Brantford police repeatedly 
this week about the Amber Alert. Some guy, and I think he's going to be charged or investigated or something. I'm not sure. And we heard several weeks ago, and I don't care if it was in Hamilton or Toronto or somewhere, that someone was calling police about an ice cream truck that was like, ding, 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 ding. And they were... <laughs> they didn't like and that. they called 911 <laughs> to have the ice... And it was like, wait a second. It's an ice cream truck. What could be a happier sound than the ringing <laughs> bells of an ice cream? That's, the, that's like a, a, a warm smell of fresh bread or something at home. It brings back happy memories of your childhood. But no, you know, Grumpy Gus had to call 911. But it's I looked this up. I have... Yeah, Go yeah. ahead. We live in such an anxious world. Anxious world. or angry? Anxious, anxious, and even when not angry, anxious. And then the it's just a quick provocation to turn that anxiousness into anger. But we are surrounded by noise. I mean, it, it's there are dings going off here and buzzers there. It's just, it's unending. But we also, you're right about the anger and the angst because we've had stories, it's not a noise thing, but we've had stories in this city about neighbors calling police on kids playing road hockey and the ball goes onto their lawn. Or basketball, where the ball bounces onto their lawn because the neighbor kids are playing on the street and stuff. And it's like, were you never a kid once? Was there ever a point at which you were not a miserable human being? (laughs) And I, look, I, I get it. If, if the kids are got one of those hard plastic balls and they keep firing it through your kitchen window, yeah, that, you know, go out and tell them, please stop, move your nets down the road or something, but to call police. I'm going to show my agents who were turning into a world of Mr. Wilson's and Dennis the Menace comic. <laughs> God, you just couldn't see the joy of childhood exuberance in anything. And uh, I, I hope we don't go down that road. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.